is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, we look at last year. It was a great year for agricultural production, setting quite a few records. This year, of course, though, a different story. Uh, Flooding, talking about the flooding, it continues in the north, in case uh, we haven't been talking about the north much lately. Farmers around Lightning Ridge, they're still isolated about uh, their properties after flooding last week, submerged entire fields. And uh, even if people can get their crops off, they're saying that the state of the roads means they won't be able to get their trucks in before Christmas. Like a near record flood come over um, our place from the Talaba overflow. Six to eight inches underneath the, the record level of, of the 12 flood. And that covered 90, 99% of our place. Got all but my house yard and, and inside the levee bank. So uh, literally everything was underwater um, by, you know, four, like one foot to about five foot really. We're here from Lightning Ridge and the flooding situation uh, shortly on the program. But uh, right now, we, uh, as I was uh, saying before, it looks as though agriculture in New South Wales contributed more to the economy than ever before, despite uh, what we're seeing in terms of devastating weather events uh, this year. The total last year was around about $2 billion, uh, up by more than $2 billion uh, to a record $23.1 billion. And uh, Minister for Agriculture Dougal Saunders says farmers were continuing to go above and beyond despite many challenges, of course, not uh, not the drought, but battling disease, pest incursions, biosecurity threats and high input costs last year. Uh, We'll talk about this year and the flooding shortly, but the Minister joins me now. Good afternoon. G'day, Michael. Good to talk to you. So something to celebrate last year and the results and setting a record as well. So I guess, you know, it, it, it is sort of timely to, you know, pat farmers on the back and say a job well done for last year. Yeah, it is. And look, this is, as you mentioned, a $2 billion uplift on the last 12 months for, for the current 12 months. So up from uh, just around $21 billion up to just over $23 billion. And that is whilst we're being impacted by some of the most devastating weather conditions we've ever seen, and particularly across the Central West now. Um, but the optimism is still there, and it's really hard to talk about all the positive things that are happening whilst at the same time you've got towns completely isolated, uh, farmers looking at you know, completely wiped out crops. Um, but at the same time, there still is optimism there, and we are seeing what is an incredible turnaround in agriculture. From 2019, when the when the drought broke in 2019, in that sort of two-and-a-half-year period, the impact on, on the gross value of production has leapt by 92%, and that's because we have, in this government, actually supported agriculture and do, doing it through all of the things we've needed to do, and that's by you know, supplying some of those grants to farmers for whatever it is. And, and obviously at the moment it's flooding. But a 92% increase in a couple of years is incredible. And that leap to over $23 billion is something to be proud of. Absolutely. And uh, National Ag Day tomorrow. But uh, let's look, let's sort of fast forward to this year. And uh, in fact, Minister for Agriculture federally, Murray Watt was today, he's in South Australia, but he uh, acknowledged that in New South Wales, there would be billions and billions of dollars worth of lost production. So obviously the latest figures there. Is there any talk of maybe upping the assistance, upping into another another category and getting some more assistance to farmers out there and landholders generally and uh, townsfolk too in terms of uh, this disaster that's unfolding? 
Yeah, absolutely. And look, at you know, as, as uh, recently as I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before in, in the state parliament chamber, the Premier confirmed that he's written to the Prime Minister directly. That happened, it was last week when that occurred. We've been working on this for a while. And as you know, Michael, this is a, a joint sort of funding operation that happens around the, the natural disaster declarations. So we put in our guidelines and our requests and they go through the federal government. That has been a bit of a process, but I think everyone agrees that the flooding that we're seeing across the Central West now is of such a large volume and, and will be having such a massive impact. It absolutely has to be raised to a Category D. What that does is then open up the opportunity for what we saw at Lismore, those Category D $75,000 with $25,000 up front with no need for invoices and some of those rural landholder grants available as well. And importantly, we will shortly um, be, be doing everything we can to support that rolling out of grants when that gets ticked off with more support staff. So we will be there on force. We've already been doing the um, uh, the, the aerial you know, fodder drops and, and supplying of food, great collaborations between our DPI and LLS and SES and all of the other agencies. Even Surf New South Wales is out there doing drone reconnaissance for us. But you're right. I mean, the, the damage will be... You know, in the billions across the country and certainly uh, in the hundreds and hundreds of millions in New South Wales. But we are resilient. We will keep pumping away and we'll keep supporting people. Now, the other issue, too, is um, there's also been some talk about um, reconstruction and you know, it's probably a little bit early to talk about that. But the roads are a big issue. And I know that's yep. not necessarily your area, but it does impact on farming. And we're hearing from Lightning Ridge and we're also hearing from the Central West and the major highways down into Victoria are uh, closed and could be closed for months. And those sort of, that must be a concern for the farm sector. That must be a concern for you and uh, you as agriculture to two. I mean, you'd be knocking on a few doors. Yeah, and look, you know, uh, my colleague Sam Faraway, who's the, the Minister for Regional Transport and Roads, is well aware of this. And look, some of the images I've seen in the past sort of three or four days where roads have literally been completely removed or, or, or moved literally hundreds of metres in bitumen peeling off. So he's aware of that at the ministerial level, but as are all or of the collapsing or collapsing or being yeah. washed away totally and having big yeah. divots in them that you can't see when they're covered in yeah. water. Exactly, but he's well aware. He's a he's a um, you know he's a practical person who's looking for practical solutions, and those practical solutions will be: we aren't going to try and build back better right now. We're going to try and patch, um, fill holes, get rocks there, get diggers going, try and make sure we have access points absolutely usable. And he's well aware of the harvest pressures that are coming. That's part of the fifty fifty million dollar pothole fund, which again is not meant to fix every problem for the long term. It's a stopgap measure to make sure that literally for harvest we're supporting councils to get some of their roads done up to a level where they can be used and on the state highways the same thing but you might need some federal money for those highways as well yep. have there there been yep. the forays uh, made there as well yeah absolutely and that, that's sort of the discussions that are, that are happening at the higher level as well because there will be some significant damage on some of those state highways where we do need the the availability of some of that federal funding to uplift and we'll be doing that but again you can't build the roads back to a better level at the moment they're just too wet it's simply not much mm. point we just need to get them usable and anyone you know I've, I've had lots of meetings with people from uh, from Dubbo West including places like Warren where there's still only one access point and out to Walgut where the town's cut off on Lightning Ridge you know when when that water disperses is when we get in there and make sure that there are connectivity points there might be a couple of detours for a few days when things dry out but we'll get back there and we'll support those rural communities got a text in from someone who's saying it's all well and good giving farmers financial help but uh, this person's saying and it's probably they're probably an ag contractor maybe a harvest contractor saying uh, contractors 
uh, maybe find it hard to get assistance, maybe grants for them? What sort of might be available for, for the contractors who are vital in things like Harvest? Yeah, absolutely they are. We've seen that um, with, the, with the flooding up north, all sorts of contractors get impacted. There are different ways and means of supporting them and we've got small, medium, large business grants that always become available as well. That's through Service New South Wales and the Minister for Resilience who handles that side of things. Uh, my role is through the Rural Assistance Authority. We look after primary producers. So as a contract harvester, you're not regarded as a primary producer. Sure. Uh, you're regarded as, as a business. So there would be opportunities for that. And that all ties into an overall package of support that we work on for businesses and for rural producers, but also uh, literally people that are losing their homes or, ne or need that sort of help as well. So it's an all-of-government response. It's just a matter of finding out where you fit in. Now, uh, Murray, what you, you're not aware of any announcements coming out today about uh, ra ratcheting up the funding there in terms of disaster? No, look, I'm not. Um, it's one of those things that we are literally just waiting for the federal government, though. And look, these things take a little bit of time sometimes. And obviously, the Prime Minister's been um, overseas in, in recent days. So uh, well, the, Prime Minister's, the Prime Minister's big on infrastructure, maybe, you know, the mm. road situation. He'd be aware of that. Uh, you have to wait for the Prime Minister to come back to, to tick off on that sort of thing. Look, I'm not sure if we need to wait for him to be back in the country. I would have thought he can probably tick off on it anyway. Uh, but look, we'll, we'll continue to push on that. Um, at the end of the day as well, some of these things, you know, people won't be ready right now for the funding. As in, if you've got, you know, 10 paddocks still underwater, mm, yeah. the money to help you rebuild fences, you don't need it right now. You need it when the water's gone. So, you know, it, it's, it's the sort of other support we need at the moment. The grants might be helpful, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and look, they'll be helpful, but when, when you can actually see your fence again, because plenty of fences are underwater and you can't go and repair them. But that, that's when that money will become vital. And look, I'm expecting that will happen you know, imminently, is the best way of putting it. Minister, thanks for your time on the program today. Always good to talk to you and have a happy Ag Day tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, that's right, National Ag Day. It's a quarter past 12 here on the New South Wales Country Hour. We're talking about the flooding and uh, some farmers around Lightning Ridge, they're still isolated after that flooding last week, that flooding again which submerged entire fields. Additional rain over the weekend, of course, uh, only further delayed an already delayed harvest. And unfortunately, there's more forecasts to come again. Will Ricardo is a crop farmer between Walgett and Lightning, Lightning Ridge. He's flooded in without access to roads or much of his paddock. He says even if he can get his crops off, the state of the roads means they won't be able to get the trucks in before Christmas. So we had a um, probably like a near record flood come over um, our place from the Talaba overflow. And I was probably six to eight inches underneath the, the record level of, of the 12 flood, and that covered pretty well 90, 99% of our place. It was, uh, got all but my house yard and, and inside the levee bank. So, uh, yeah, literally everything was underwater um, by, you know, four, like one foot to about five foot, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, what's, mm. it, what's it like now? How much is, how much is flooded? There's still quite a lot of country under war here. Um, the peak was about uh, nine days ago, and it's still flowing through the place. Uh, although it's 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 kind of come down a lot. It's uh, going to be another couple of weeks before I get access to to anywhere because the roads are all uh, completely cut off at the moment. It's yeah, really terrible. Um, how badly it's affected our, affected our access and. Uh, well, access everywhere, mainly the main roads. The roads in the district are just shot. They'll be out of action for at least two months. Like during the whole harvest period, 
we won't get trucks down there like before Christmas. Uh, no way. And uh, yeah, just because the floods just washed out big holes in um, a lot of different directions as people bringing headers through there and getting bogged. Um, yeah, it's just dire straits here at the moment. Like even if we do get a harvest, there's no way of actually getting our commodities to, to anywhere, to any silos or it all has to be stored on farm this year, unfortunately. Oh, wow. And uh, what other crops? I know you have canola there that you managed to get 60% of it off. What other crops do you have there? Yeah, probably the, the crop that was greatest affected was probably the wheat. Um, I had some wheat there that was about a week off there to, to harvest that I've probably lost oh, nearly 800 hectares that was completely submerged for nearly a week. So I'm not quite sure how good that's going to be. Mm. I had a lot of country out for dryland cotton as well, but I probably won't get to plant that this year now that all the fallows are underwater. How much of your wheat crop was uh, affected by the flood water? Well, it was all underwater, um, but well, not under completely underwater. It was all uh, like sitting in water, so there was probably a foot or two foot just below the heads mm. across most of it. Luckily, some of it was actually still green, so there was about a 1,000 hectares that was still... Um, green because we had that huge rain during the initial planting and we had to go back and replant it. So that was actually still green. There could still be some good wheat there depending on when the water comes down. At the moment, while it's still you know relatively good quality um, which we're still unsure of, we're definitely going to get it as soon as possible. Get a bit of a crust on the surface then we'll be uh, all systems go. Yeah. yeah. And it's such yeah. a shame because you had a, you had a good wheat crop this year, didn't you? That's right, yes. The crops are looking fantastic. We're definitely looking at a record-breaking year for sure. Um, yeah, it just magnifies the loss, I guess, when you've poured money onto a crop that uh, you're perhaps not going to get off. We sort of need to make a bit of an appeal to, to the, the state government to try and put some money into these rural roads after the flooding because there's just no way that we can even think about getting our product to market without some sort of input from those guys. Our access is just... Um, shocking at the moment. I know a lot of guys back towards Canamble, the roads are beyond repair and, and uh, you know, we're all in the same boat, but it's just, it's going to be really hard yards the next year or two. So the road's a familiar tale. Uh, Will Ricardo, who farms near Lightning Ridge between Walgett and Lightning Ridge, he's saying the road's probably no access there. He reckons even if he got his crops off, wouldn't have access uh, before Christmas to get the trucks in and around. It's 20 past 12 on the country hour, well, uh, talking about the uh, flooding situation, let's head down to the central west and, uh, of course, the spotlight's still on Forbes and uh, record levels of the river there and uh, also other towns like uh, Ugarra, which is smashed by that wall of water, of course, and uh, uh, farmers Uabalong, uh, we heard from yesterday, isolated on their property and water coming in on the levee banks as well, so uh, devastation to crops and stock losses as well. Simon Wallace is our reporter who's out and about in Forbes at the moment. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So all the roads leading to Forbes, although you had a fairly circuitous route. <laughs> no, everyone's got a story about travel at the moment because everywhere through here, roads are closed. Major roads, minor ones, all sorts of things. Because obviously it's not just the Lachlan, Lachlan's Blubula, all the creeks are full and that's just caused so much damage. So Forbes, to, we're normally based in Wagga. Forbes to Wagga is about three hours. We took us about nine and a bit hours. We had to double back and then go... Literally, we went the catchment of the Lachlan River. So we went from Young to Burrawa to Crookwell to over to Blaney to Orange to Parks and then into Forbes. 
And everywhere you're talking about that crop damage, Michael, it's going to be huge. And the roads and the fences, just all the way along, there's just been so much water that came in those two big storms last Saturday, Saturday afternoon, I think Saturday night, people spoke about. And they, someone told me the catchment's about 1,000 kilometres, and it's just been belted all the way across it. Mm. And 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 for months too. I mean, it's been wet for months as well. So that that damage on top of other damage. That's right. Well, in Forbes, they had that flood two weeks ago. Mm. Which, as they, as someone sort of said, oh, that part of town was flooded, but we could walk to that tree and that telegraph pole. This flood's much higher. But that's right. But people had you know cleaned up their houses, cleaned up businesses, and that sort of thing. And someone raised the point uh, recently about you know rental houses have to be dried out thoroughly and fumigated and checked for all mould and things. So I wonder what that's going to do to the workforces in place places like Forbes. Um, oh, certainly the Yagara, which I mean is all smashed up, mm. but all those places where you know people work in ag and ag-related industries. And we're also hearing uh, there's been calls from locals as well for a sort of house buyback situation similar to what we saw in Lismore, saying it's a sort of mini Lismore what they experienced there. So, is that are you getting any sense of that? People talking about you know that, those sorts of assistance measures needed, sort of you know we're looking at a, a mini mini Lismore situation and house buybacks. It's- it's funny you said that, Michael. When we were recently filming something, I heard a couple. Everyone you talk to has a friend or someone they know from Yagawa or that part of the world as well. And they just said, oh, yeah, they've offered my money. But oh, if they offer my money, sorry, I should have said. And, you know, she won't know what to do. And I guess it is difficult, especially mm. if you're older, you know, would you move? Would you sell a block? I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see how many people take up that sort of offer. But, Michael, all across the state and northeast Victoria, there is just so much water at the moment. I mean, it's through here, and this is going to move on, obviously, and cause so many problems downstream. But everywhere, I've spoken to farmers, you know, between Griffith and Collianley. Mm. There's just, you know, they're driving through flood water constantly mm. because there is just that much water laying about in the, in the flatter parts of the state. And that begs the question about production for this year, getting the harvest off, if there is anything to harvest at all, and moving it around on the trucks. But then you've got to fast forward to next year too, and planting the crop for oh. next year. And that's that's a people are really concerned about that already now. I've heard someone say that it's going to be like a drought mm. before you build back up. I was talking to a guy. Anyone I've seen, you know, putting putting fuel in multiple jerry cans, I've approached them to ask where they're from and how they're going. And they just say, well, they've got friends on farms that can't get in. No one mm. can get out. No one can get in. I spoke to one guy. He said, oh, I spoke to a mate between Yagara and Parks. He said, I said, oh, how are numbers of, you know, what he's lost? He said, well, he doesn't know. Mm. He just doesn't know because he can't get out there to, find, to check on anything. It is just that, that deep and that heavy. Michael, and as you said, it was so wet before it. And then there's just been those two, those storms over the weekend that have pushed so much water through. We've got the Governor-General visiting Forbes today, and we had the Deputy PM visiting yesterday, and also the local member, Michael McCormack, who's not in government at the moment, but he did ask, renew the push for a raising of the Wyangala Dam wall, which, of course, would make a difference to Forbes, but not Yagawa and Blaine, um, most places further upstream that, that weren't hit by the Lachlan River. They were hit by Belubula and other creeks. Mm, that's right, and the menagerie, I think, came down and caused a yeah. lot of problems there yep. as well. Yeah, and that, that is that is a, a, a vexed issue in itself because that is now on, on the, the back burner, I gather, from federal funding. What about uh, in, uh, people saying they need disaster relief and they need it sort of yesterday, like, you know, uh, more government grants and, uh, you know, moving into the more disaster funding categories? Are they calling for that? Not yet. It's really difficult. People seem to be pretty in pretty good spirits. They're all staying, I guess, with friends and things like that. The mm. mayor thinks that, has said about 
or she would thinks two thirds of two thirds of parks would have had some inundation. Obviously, nothing like the you know meter and a half or meter of water that sadly you see through the centre of town, through the older part. But it'll be interesting to see that, as you said, people are just still cleaning up from the last flood through here. So it'll be really interesting to see where people are at this point of time as well. And whether they want, you know, the dam raised, which would make a difference in Forbes, because as you said, all those creeks flow into the Lachlan above here, so it's all, everything's harder and not metered. I guess that's the question too, that someone did raise that how there's not a lot of great meterage on some of those things, which... But then would, you know, in Yagara, I guess, has been a dreadful one. But, it, yeah, so it makes it very hard to predict what's going to happen or what's coming. And uh, as, yeah. as we saw, it was that wall of water. Look, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave you to it, Simon. I know you're busy. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the program today. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Simon Wallace there, who's in Forbes, uh, as is uh, the Agriculture Minister. He was uh, calling us from Forbes, apparently. It's 26 minutes past 12 here on the New South Wales country. And now on the ground in Forbes, uh, Simon Wallace earlier on caught up with a local retailer talking about some of the issues that they were experiencing. Hi, I'm Marie Westcott from Forbes Small Engine Specialist. Um, we've been here from 2001 and we were down in Cross Street before that. Which would have been flooded. Yes, we weren't in there then, though. We bought it just after the flood, so we're lucky up here. It's been pretty good. But, Marie, you deal a lot with farmers with pumps and generators and things. What have they told you? Uh, Well, a lot can't get into town to get the repairs done, but the ones that have come in, we've managed to get them going. The boys out the back have been repairing them, and we've had a few new ones, new pumps go out. We also have generators. If anyone's stuck, we have a few generators in stock. Pumps? Have you been getting parts? Uh, they've been make doing. They've got out the back and, um, yeah, because there's not many parts coming in either. That's right. Because you would have had people that would have had pumps flooded from the two yes. weeks ago. Yes, that's right. So it's ongoing. Yeah. Uh, what sort of things are you hearing from people? Uh, just the devastation, especially Yagara. They've really copped it and it's a bit unknown here what's going to happen in the next couple of days. And what do you think, of, what do you think the, all this water will do to the farming industry locally? Oh, it's not going to be a very good season at all, no, because they have no crops. Yeah, it's going to be very hard. And I guess that'll impact everyone. It will, yeah. Everyone in Forbes, Yagara, all the surrounding little towns, definitely. That's a pump specialist talking there to Simon Wallace from Forbes. Well, uh, looking at the weather and the forecasting, don't hold your breath for any move to more benign weather conditions. Even the Weather Bureau is forecasting a wetter than average summer still for the east coast of Australia until January. Well, Dennis Luke is an independent weather forecaster who follows the EU and US computer modelling on climate and rainfall. And he says he thinks uh, the wet conditions might continue through until March. He said the models, he oversees computer models, are showing signs of another severe weather system coming at the end of November. Well, one of the things that I've noticed with the uh, with having a triple La Nina, because we've had uh, two or three since the Second World War, and what I've noticed is the, um, the measurements are pretty much uh, the first two years. You might as well add that up, and that's what you're going to get in the third year, and that's pretty much what what's happened this year so one of the unfortunate things is that there's not good news because i actually forecast this earlier this year and i expected it to last for at least a minimum of um, nine to twelve months and it doesn't look like it's going away and i'm expecting uh, more for the east coast of australia Uh, more so for victoria than uh, new south wales and queensland but it's still not going to go away just yet and I'm expecting something probably later this month.
And you've been looking at some computer modelling. What, what are they telling you? And, and why are they saying it's going to remain wet? Well, the sea surface temperatures along the equator are basically the driving force of this, the, uh, the ENSO, the, uh, the El Nino Southern Oscillating Index, and that's all um, showing uh, the actual position of where it's all going to uh, continue coming across, and that's what's going to keep happening for a minimum of probably uh, two to three months. At the, at the worst case scenario, um, the best case scenario may be earlier, but I can't see that at the present time. We have been hearing from a number of farmers who've been saying this after a wet year, quite often we get very dry years, even a drought. People are worried about that because, uh, you know, a lot of crops have been spoiled. They don't have a lot in reserve. They don't have a lot of fodder in reserve, those sorts of things. And they're worried that if it does become hot and dry, people could be in for trouble again. One of the things that uh, La Nina, which is what we're experiencing at the moment, normally only turns up about once every seven to ten years. And as I said before, that uh, it's um, it's not an unusual thing for us to have two or three in a row. And this is unfortunate, and that's one of the things that we're going to be dealing with. So once we uh, transition back from La Nina to neutral, uh, the only possibility that we've got to come out of that is uh, either staying in neutral which is highly unlikely or going straight back into an El Nino as to the severity of an El Nino uh, that can be uh, from anywhere from a week to a strong one. Uh, the computer modelling at the moment is uh, unfortunately showing a little bit more than uh, just a weak one. And are we going to get severe weather? Is, is, that, is that what's on the cards, more of this severe weather that we saw, like, say, for example, over the weekend? Yeah, later this month I'm expecting more. The presumption that I can see is that uh, it's going to be along the east coast of Australia and Victoria. Who gets what? Uh, I'll let people know on my social media. What about, is it global warming? Is it, is it climate change? Is that what we're seeing? People can talk about those sorts of things uh, until they're blue in the face, but the way I see it is that uh, there has been a slight increase in the overall temperature, uh, but when, when, you, when they come out and say that uh, the world has increased by one degree, they're not sort of central specific to Australia. As for global warming, uh, when we get into an El Nino, that's all we're going to hear about, but when we get into La Nina's, we get um, climate change. So... That's why I'm, I'm so annoyed with the fact that we're not hearing from scientists here in Australia that what actually is going, what is actually happening here on, on our continent, that we're affected by what takes place uh, in our oceans around us and not from what we hear from uh, scientists and other people in the Northern Hemisphere. I want to know what's happening here in the Southern Hemisphere and I want it to be compared with what's actually going on in the Northern Hemisphere to understand what we're dealing with here. Dennis Luke is an independent weather forecaster and it's uh, coming up to 28 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country. I will get uh, the uh, latest on the weather shortly. But uh, before we do that, let's find out what's happening with the news headlines. Adam Storey, good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. Uh, the Federal Emergency Management Minister has spoken today and he says the billions of dollars that's been set aside in the budget for flood relief and recovery this year may not be enough. Uh, the federal budget did include a $3 billion contingency reserve to support individuals and 
and businesses uh, in the immediate aftermath of flooding, but uh, he says given the events in New South Wales, that is obviously going to have to be topped up. Uh, the unemployment rate dropped from September to October, with more people being hired. Economists had tipped a, a slight rise, but it's gone to uh, 3.4% from 35 and that's the lowest in nearly 50 years, with uh, 32,000 people hired over the past month. And that will obviously feed into Reserve Bank thinking on the next interest rate rise. I think they were hoping for a slight uptick in the unemployment rate, mm. so they could ease back a bit, but it looks like well, that you, may you, not be the case. You know that the unemployment rate is, is low when uh, both my son and daughter have jobs. Well, <laughs> gee. <laughs> You must be very proud. Your work is done here. You're done. For how long? For how long? Was it? Uh, so, I want, should I Sorry ask? to interject. Yeah, no, that's Sorry. all right. Yeah. Should I ask what field they've moved into? Oh, casual at the hardware store for the yeah. son and uh, yeah. a childcare worker for ah. the daughter, Yeah, which is a full-time both, gig. Yeah. Both worthy occupations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, well, the childcare is... Absolutely, they're, they're yeah. getting smashed, yeah. Mm. Oh, hardware is a very important business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of work, the fair, full bench of the Fair Work Commission uh, is uh, gathering today. It's uh, uh, going to decide on uh, what's going to happen with this uh, dispute with the tugboat operator Switzer. Uh, the Maritime Union says it's ready to negotiate with the, uh, with the company, even though they've been negotiating for three years. Uh, so the Fair Work Commission uh, could uh, suspend or terminate that uh, proposed action uh, based on potential economic harm, or it uh, it could order the company to uh, to keep the gates open. And uh, US media outlets have now projected that the Republicans will win a majority in the House of Representatives. Uh, they've called uh, California's 27th Congressional District, and that uh, confirms the 218 uh seats that they need the exact numbers are still unclear there's still seven races to be called democrats may pick up about four of those uh, with the rest going to republicans so we don't know with the exact majority at this stage but as we know it's fluid in america quite a lot of those moderate republicans can jump ship and vote democrat if on it's, certain bills if it's a, if it's certain, exactly relating yeah. to their state they quite often yeah. Jump across. Uh, I think the most important thing Joe needs them for would be just to pass budgets, mm. basically, as opposed mm. to any, any grand plans. Mm. Um, but, yeah, certainly, I think um, if you need to only convince maybe eight to ten of them. A little bit of horse trading going on. Oh, absolutely. Which, is, which yeah, I think actually uh, the origin of horse trading actually started in the United States. That doesn't surprise me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's me lot. Okay, right. well, we'll be listening at one o'clock. Okay. Thanks for that, Adam. Adam's story with the news headlines there, and uh, it's uh, coming up to uh, 25 minutes to one. There's uh, some changes in regards to flood information. ABC Radio, flood information. bring this to you now because I just got it. There are two emergency warnings for Condoblin areas. The SES says uh, evacuate by 2pm for low-lying properties in Condoblin and evacuate now for Willow Bend and East Condoblin. You should evacuate and stay with family, friends or alternate accommodation in areas unaffected by flooding. If you're unable to find accommodation, registration points have been set up at the Condoblin Public Library in Bathurst Street in Condoblin. If you remain in the area, you may become trapped without power, water and other essential services. It may be too dangerous for the New South Wales SES to rescue you and buildings may not be able to withstand the impact of flood water. What are we expecting? Well, the Lachlan River 
River is rising quickly. The event may change quickly. We'll monitor the situation and update our warnings as the situation changes as well. So stay listening to ABC Local Radio. The, check out the SES website and uh, also listening to the bomb. Talking about listening to the bomb, Jake Phillips is at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So those, some of those changes there to uh, river yeah. heights and river warnings, uh, major flood levels in Condobin and and in many, many other river systems throughout the state at the moment. Yes, absolutely. So eight major flood warnings are current for eight river systems, that is, but within those river systems there are numerous locations or over 20 locations either currently or imminently experiencing major flooding. Uh, Forbes is expected to reach its peak today, but uh, you mentioned uh, Condoblin there. That's uh, not likely to reach its peak till Saturday based on current estimates. So still a little way to go. Um, the good news in the short term is that we've had a couple of relatively dry days this week. It's been a little bit on the cool side, in some cases uh, a lot cooler than average, but uh, the main feature is that it's been dry over the inland. Just a couple of showers uh, here and there east of the divide, and again today on the radar at the moment we're seeing a couple of showers just off the coast, but uh, if they brush the coast at all they won't push very far inland. So mostly dry conditions today, and that's due to a high pressure system which is moving over the top of us. And that'll be with us again tomorrow as well, although starting to move towards the Tasman Sea tomorrow. So today, just maybe at the odd shower or two near the coastal fringe, but tomorrow we're looking at a pretty dry day throughout the state. A little bit cool again first thing tomorrow, so a little maybe some patches of frost on the tablelands, uh, as was the case today. Uh, and then the next system of note that we're keeping a close eye on is one that's coming through on the weekend, so the west of the state on Saturday and then moving across to the east on Sunday. Yes, uh, tell us about that because people were concerned that it uh, may be a similar system to what we saw, but it doesn't look like it will be as severe. Absolutely, that's the good news. So definitely some rain with it, and at the moment any rain is, is a concern, but it looks as though it's going to be a lot more patchy than we saw with the last system, and a lot of places won't see anything like the sort of magnitude of rainfall that we saw last Saturday and Sunday. So for Saturday, the southern inland is the area that's most likely to see the rain. So I'm talking about parts of the lower western Riverina and southwest slopes. And in those regions, we'll see widespread falls of 5 to 15 millimetres. And there could be a couple of thunderstorms in there as well. So locally under those storms, we could see uh, 20 or 30 millimetres. I don't think we'll see the falls of 50 or 100 millimetres that we saw last weekend because this system's a little bit different. There's not as much of the tropical humidity to work with with this system. That's one of the key reasons we're not expecting the higher rainfall. So on the, that's on the Saturday, just the southern inland area for most of that rain and then moving to the east, pretty quickly moving offshore, however, on Sunday. So showers and thunderstorms could potentially affect most districts, but in a lot of uh, places the falls will be light and I would even think that uh, a number of locations will miss out altogether. So definitely a system to watch out for um, because obviously any rain could cause uh, runoff at the moment where we're talking about waterlogged ground in a lot of those areas. And uh, thunderstorms as well potentially could be severe. So with thunderstorms, we're not just looking at the threat of heavy rain, but potentially also some damaging wind gusts and maybe even some large hail in the southern inland as well. So uh, definitely a system to watch out for, but overall on the widespread rain um, front, it's, it's better news than we've had for the last few systems that have passed through. But obviously any rain is going to feed into that uh, system, into those river systems and the, you know, be, a, be another pulse in the river system, I guess. Uh, that's the concern Absolutely. there. 
that is the concern. So on its own, if this was not happening in a flood situation, we wouldn't really take too much notice of this system from a rainfall perspective. But as you say, anything uh, is running off at the moment. So it's definitely something we need to be aware of. And, and things do change as well. So keep an eye out for Bureau forecasts and uh, warnings over the next few days, as hopefully everyone already does. And the other feature that's worth mentioning with this system, uh, as well as the uh, concern over rain and thunderstorms, is going to be quite windy, particularly on Sunday and even on Monday. Even though the main system will be well offshore by Monday, we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, fairly brisk westerly winds in the wake of this system. So Sunday and Monday, we could see some severe weather warnings for wind. And particularly in areas where the ground is a bit waterlogged, that could bring an increased potential for, for trees to, or even weakened structures to blow over. Mm. And so wind will be a feature of this system? It looks like it, particularly during the second part. So the, the rainfall is more Saturday and Sunday. The wind is more Sunday and Monday. Okay, all right. Well, uh, and uh, as we were saying, uh, we'll monitor the situation and update warnings and uh, uh, the website uh, for the bomb and also SES and uh, also keep listening to ABC Local Radio. Jake, thanks for that. No trouble, Michael. Thank you. Jake Phillips at the Bureau there. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, lots riding on a meeting in the Fair Work Commission today. Three unions involved in port operations have suspended protected industrial action and are sitting down with the country's biggest tugboat operator, Svitzer, to see if they can resolve their differences. If not, Svitzer says it will lock out the workers tomorrow, effectively shutting many of the nation's ports. Neil Chambers is Director of the Transport Container Transport Alliance of Australia and he told David Clorton the issues already causing major disruption to trade. The unions overnight have suspended their uh, protected industrial action, which they're uh, allowed to undertake under the, the, the current Fair Work Act. Um, so, but they've suspended that action. Um, Svitzer, as the towage operator, has continued to say that the lockout of their workforce will continue from midday on Friday. But I suspect, uh, and I we hope, um, that the hearing of the Fair Work Commission will bring the parties together, terminate the protected action, uh, meaning that Switzer um, has no need really then to lock out its workforce and hopefully heads will prevail uh, with the Fair Work Commission and they'll be asked to uh, enter into further negotiations on their enterprise agreement. Now, is that a major step, termination of a dispute? Look, this occurred uh, in some of the disputes which were occurring on the waterfront with the container terminals uh, last year. Um, it, it, was, it came to a head within the Fair Work Commission and uh, the protected in industrial action was, was put aside and, and ordered not to occur for, for a period of months so that the parties could have some clear air with the assistance of the Fair Work Commission to, to reach a, a final agreement. And, and in the case of the, the container stevedores at that time, um, that's what occurred. So you, you would hope that a, a similar action's taken here um, so we can get the parties back to the negotiating table and to finalise an agreement, which has taken um, taken almost three years to, to complete. We'll look at that in just a sec, but if, if that doesn't happen today and the, the lockout uh, goes ahead tomorrow of all those workers, what are the implications for your industry? Well, uh, overnight, uh, several of the major ports, Fremantle uh, and, and Melbourne, um, 
have started to their, their harbour masters and and uh, safety regulators have started to look at the situation of ships alongside or waiting to to, to come into berth, and, and to potentially have those vessels go back out to sea so that they're not uh, uh, caught for any lengthy period of time uh, at the berth. Um, so already we're we're starting to see ahead of the lockout we're starting to see some potential disruption in the movement of vessels. So. To and from Australian ports, um, which is uh, devastating, really, because uh, clearly in the lead up to Christmas, um, importers are still having product coming into the country uh, for for Christmas and the New Year um, that will be disrupted, uh, and also our exports. Um, we're well into some of the seasonal exports in Australia, um, and. Uh, you know, that's the last thing we need is for those exports to be disrupted and, and not meet their contractual obligations overseas for, for the delivery of commodities. On the agriculture and commodity side, are there particular things there of note? Well, absolutely. Depending on parts of Australia, um, all of our seasonal exports are, are going gangbusters, as they say. So whether it's hay or grain or meat or a whole range of commodities, um, uh, we have fairly buoyant exports uh, at the moment because of the, um, the the cropping conditions and the like. So um, you know, we that the last thing we need is a major, a further major disruption on top of COVID and all the other disruptions that have occurred in the global supply chains over the last couple of years. This is, is just something that we don't need. What uh, advice are you giving to your members at the moment? Well, certainly our members uh, are really captured by the process, unfortunately, because the they're the people who are picking up the containers once they're discharged from uh, from the vessels on import or delivering the exports to uh, to the terminals. Um, uh, they're they're having they then have to put up with uh, what we call the tsunami effect, where vessels will bunch together, come alongside all together, discharge all of their cargoes, and then you have this mad rush in a sense to to, to clear cargoes away from 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 the terminals. The the wharf uh, or and is that, is that happening today oh look absolutely and and one of the disruptions from an export supply chain point of view is that it means that uh, more containers have to be what we call staged through transport yards so instead of coming straight from the packing area whether that be in a regional location or or elsewhere straight to the port which is the much more optimal supply chain uh, these these um Export containers are having to be staged back through transport yards and elsewhere. If they're refrigerated containers, they have to be kept on power. So you, you need to find places to plug the, the containers in prior to them being delivered to to the to the wharf for export. And um, so any disruption to that that supply chain uh, means additional cost and additional frustration for everybody in the landside logistics supply chain. Neil Chambers is the director of the Container Transport Alliance Australia, which represents companies involved in the land side logistics of trade, including warehouse operators and road and rail companies. That meeting, uh, that Fair Work Commission meeting, is on this afternoon. Is if the issues can't be resolved, the Fair Work Commission may take the unusual step of uh, terminating the lockout, which would end all protected action and trigger an arbitration process. It's 12 minutes to one on the Country Hour. We're talking about uh, transport issues. And uh, Steve says uh, he heard that uh, yesterday on the program there was talk about 
channeling the money set out for the Blue Mountains Tunnel to fix the rural roads. And he says uh, he's just been working on the inland rail north of Narrabri, carting ballast from quarries at Gunnedah and Narrabri and as, as uh, uh, further north as well. He says he couldn't agree more about the roads. He says he's currently running other quarry materials from Oberon to the Western Sydney Airport. He doesn't see the need for the tunnel. He says the condition of the network out west and uh, central west of the state should be a far bigger priority at the moment. And uh, also on the text line, Greg at Ningen's uh, making the point uh, people should be making a donation uh, as one way of assisting people in flood towns. Ugaur, of course, needs a big helping hand, as does Forbes, as we were talking about earlier and a range of other towns as well um uh, greg says he made a donation to give it he says that the uh, suffering and loss is terrible and they have to have uh, some help somehow and uh, it should be happening now it's uh, 11 to 1 you're listening to the country hour on abc radio new south wales Water brokers are at odds over the actions of one of their own in response to the return of federal government water buybacks in the Murray-Darling Basin. After Senate estimates last week, in which it was revealed the government intends to buy back at least another 49 gigalitres of water in the basin to meet its targets. On Friday, water broker firm Waterfind sent customers an email and a text saying a buyback is open and contact them for details. On Monday, the the firm sent out a correction saying there's no buyback yet, but asked customers to put in an expression of interest. Fellow water broker and member of the Australian Water Brokers Association, Anthony McCluskey, who is a former employee employee of Waterfind, says he wasn't happy when he saw the texts. I think it's probably a good or a timely reminder of, of why we have undergone the ACCC review into into water markets. And uh, because, uh, you know, being a water broker has been uh, unregulated in the past and anyone could throw up a shingle and say, now I am a water broker. It's behaviour that's not acceptable in, in a lot of a lot of industries or any industry really and it's something that uh, these reforms will go some way to addressing uh, but the AWBAS also believes and I personally believe that uh, the uh, reforms could go further uh, in, in terms of that. So if there was licensing or if the reforms suggested by the ACCC had been adopted by government already, do you think these actions would be allowed under those rules? Uh, you certainly wouldn't believe so that under the mandatory code of conduct that they would um, put in that um, that behaviour would not be acceptable. That's correct. Do you think it's all right for, for water brokers to be telling clients that a buyback is now open when it's when it's not? Well, then, no. I mean, it's a very black and white thing. They have announced they're going to do buybacks, but the buyback is not open, and, and that's a very, very clear difference. And then a correction was issued by Waterfine, but not an apology. Should they apologise? Uh, look, it obviously, doing things like that has an effect on the market. It has effect on clients and especially uh, participants' confidence in the market. And, and that was one of the really big things coming out of the ACCC inquiry was participants' confidence in water market participants. And uh, that certainly, behaviour like that certainly undermines that confidence. So is this a bad look for your whole industry? 
look, I think um, what other water brokers have done, and I'm certainly not the only one who's received calls from clients, uh, and uh, the AWBA has been in contact with the Minister's office about this sort of thing, and it's something that we are very clear on that, um, and, and, you know, most people have made it clear to their clients that, uh, no, this is um, not the right thing, and, and people, when uh, we are then able to clarify the situation for them, understand that it is those, you know, isolated things like that rather than an industry-wide approach. The Federal Water Minister, Tanya Plibersek, has made some announcements on on moving forward with some of the, the regulations around water brokers. It, it's unclear whether that will be in place before any government of buyback of water takes place. Should should those regulations be in place before the next buyback? Well, look, it would be nice if they were. And, you know, I think, again, we come back to talking about confidence for people in the water market, then it would certainly add confidence to the process that we're going through or that we would go through. So, yes, it would be nice whether or not it will happen. I guess uh, we will find out in the fullness of time. The AWBA has its AGM next on, on Monday coming, actually, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll uh, get some information from DCCEEW at that stage about uh, where the reforms are up to. Do you think the actions of, of water brokers and the reforms are going to be a hot topic at the, the next meeting for water brokers, for the association? Very, very much so. And look, and... I think you would have seen before that the AWBA response is that we don't think those reforms go far enough. We don't think that just regulation is part of it. We we think there should be licensing of participants uh, and that would give even more confidence. So effectively, if you do the wrong thing, you can lose your licence to trade. Yeah, or you pay a fine or you get suspended from trading and, you know, and, and Water New South Wales or, or Goulburn Murray Water wouldn't deal with you. That's owner and operator of, operator of Key Water, Anthony McCloskey, who's a former employee of Waterfind, and he was speaking there to Warwick Long. Time for markets. Let's go to Wagga Sheep and Lambs, Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers more than halved this week with 27,900 lambs and 12,000 sheep. Quality was fair to good while young store lambs have gone off in condition due to the wet weather. The limited supplies rallied the market with prices roaring back 20 to $30 and more in places. Hoggets for the better end jumped $50. 21 to 24 kilo for young lambs, 175 to 215, averaging around 840 cents a kilogram carcass weight. 24 to 26, 208 to 235, 26 to 30, 226 to 258, over 30 kilos, 258 to 267. Heavy old lambs, 228 to $304. Merino hoggets, the better end, 143 to 211. Crossbred hoggets, 168 to 185. The month market improved. Heavy merinos, 125 to 150. The heavy crossbred ewes, 120 to 168. And trade sheep, $90 to 118. Leanne Dax, MLA. Let's go to Dubbo Cattle now and Tim Delaney. Good afternoon. Cattle numbers came back to 1,633 at Dubbo, which was 3,200 less than last week. Quality was mixed with the yearlings well supplied and many pens of good quality. 
Also some good vealers, a mixed selection of cows and good number of grown steers and heifers. Smaller group of buyers attended with three less in the gallery. Demand was weak with the younger and grown cattle sales from 20 to 30 cents easier and back further in places. Cows sold from 30 to 45 cents cheaper. Bulls also from 25 to 30 cents softer. Steer villas to the trade made from 470 to 552 cents. Heifer villas made from 454 to 562 cents. Yearling steers of good quality to the process made from 430 to 520 cents. The heifer portion were from 420 also to 520 cents. Better yearling steers to the feeders made from 455 to 508 cents. Restockers paid from 420 to 560 cents, reaching 640 cents. Good yearling heifers to the restockers sold from 470 to 528 cents, with the feeders paying between 450 to 508 cents. Grown heifers sold from 335 to 435 cents. Grown steers made from 360 to 480 cents. Heavy cows sold from 332 to 380. And the best heavy bulls made from 322 to 360 cents a kilogram. This has been Tim Delaney, reporter for MLA Dubbo. Let's go to Yas Cattle now, Graham Richard. Good afternoon. Numbers were back to only 485. The quality and condition was good with most cattle 400 kilos and heavier. Growing cattle were well represented and there were several good lines of feeder steers and heifers. The market sold to a cheaper trend. Restocking steers sold to 632 cents while the heifers reached 554. Medium weight feeder steers 5 cents cheaper on limited numbers 490 to 522. The heavyweights were back 30 cents on average 420 to 480. Heavy trade steers fell 30 cents 412 to 500 cents. Feeder heifers to 400 kilos, mostly 405 to 480. The grown steers dropped 40 cents, 391 to 420. Bullocks back 25, 360 to 380. Grown heifers also lost 40 cents. The heavyweights ranged from 320 to 395. Cows fell 40 to 45 cents with medium weights, 315 to 335. The heavy cows, 325 to a top of 368. And this has been Graham Richard. And that's the market information for today. ABC Radio, flood information. We'll go through that flood information again in case you missed it earlier. There are two emergency warnings for Condoblin areas. The SES says evacuate by 2pm for low-lying properties in Condoblin. And evacuate now for Willow Bend and East Condoblin. You should evacuate uh, to stay with family, friends or alternate accommodation in areas unaffected by flooding. If you're unable to find accommodation... Uh, registration points have been set up at the Condoblin Public Library in Bathurst Street in Condoblin. Uh, if you remain in the area, you may become trapped without power, water and other essential services. It may be too dangerous for the New South Wales SES to rescue you and the buildings may not be able to withstand the impact of the flood waters. Which is what are we expecting? Well, the Lachlan River is rising quickly and this event may change and uh, we'll monitor the situation and update our warnings if the situation changes. Stay listening to ABC Local Radio. Also check out the uh, Bureau of Meteorology website and, uh, of course, uh, the SES website as well. You've been listening to the New South Wales Country Hour. We're heading up to news time at one o'clock. <laughs> 